It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code BOOM to get $30 off your first month. That's BOOM. Talkspace.com slash BOOM. B-O-O-M. You are Locked On Rams, your daily podcast on the Los Angeles Rams, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, another edition of Locked On Rams. Travis Rogers here. Of course, I'm the host of the Rams postgame show on ESPN LA 710. You can catch me probably oh, around, say, 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. You can go to your ESPN app for that as well if you would like to hear it. All of your Rams talk that we have. Reminder, go check out Locked On Fantasy with Vinny Iyer. Locked On the NFL with Matt Williamson. And for all of you NBA fans, of course, Locked On the Lakers with Anthony and Harrison. I got an NBA story that I want to talk about at the end as well. It kind of relates back to the Rams a little bit, so we will get to that. Uh, I want to start with a couple of different things. Just a, a quick injury update with the the Rams. I think that's going to make an, an interesting impact coming up this weekend. They're going to get some guys back on the squad, and I think that that might do some things for the offense. We'll talk about that. I want to talk about what they need to do to have some success defensively against Tampa. We've seen Tampa so far this season. They looked really good early against Atlanta and looked much less good against Arizona last week. So we'll talk about what the Rams need to do there. And then lastly, I thought some interesting comments from Alec Ogletree on both Jared Goff and on the offense in general. So we'll talk about that coming up. And as I mentioned, an NBA that kind of connects back to the Rams, or at least the idea of a a rookie who is not quite ready to be a star. And it's a Clipper story that relates back to the the Rams. But we'll get back to the. We'll, we'll start with this. We'll start with the the news, the health of the Rams. All, all of the following guys practiced today all of them are expected to practice tomorrow they are all expected to play on Saturday talking about safety Maurice Alexander he's been dealing with that thigh injury he is about ready to go Farrell Cooper wide receiver shoulder injury Benny Cunningham a running back of course with that knee he's played in both games so far EJ Gaines I think is going to be a big addition back to the team he's dealing with that thigh energy LaMarcus Joyner played with a broken toe he was back last week and played pretty well I expect more from him and then of course Nelson Spruce who has not played since game one of the preseason with that knee injury he's expected to go as well I want to start with Farrah Cooper and Nelson Spruce. We've spent so much time talking about the quarterbacks, and rightfully so. We spent a lot of time talking about Todd Gurley, and that makes some sense as well. But the fact of the matter is, the Rams need a whole bunch of help at the wide receiver position. Kenny Britt is what exactly? Kenny Britt is a veteran player. He's a decent player. He's a guy that is, if he's your third wide receiver, you're probably okay with that. The problem is Kenny Britt is their number one guy. Their second guy is a guy that I think would have been cut under almost any other circumstances, Brian Quick, but managed to stick around because of injuries to Cooper, because of injuries to Nelson Spruce, so he's hung around a little bit longer. Now you're going to get Cooper back, you're going to get Spruce back. Look, Nelson Spruce is not a number one wide receiver in the NFL. 
He's just not. That, that's not what he does. But what he's really good at is running very precise routes. He's good with his, he's got great hands. I mean, he's the stereotypical guy that you're envisioning in your head right now. But it's true. That's what he does particularly well. It's what he did well at Colorado. It's what allowed him to catch all those balls in the Pac-12. And it's what helped him make this team as an undrafted player. He's, he's a valuable commodity in that regard. He's not going to stretch the field. He's not going to be a guy that uh, is going to get down the field and score a lot of touchdowns. But what he can be is a little bit of an outlet, a little bit of an opportunity for Case Keenum to hit him, a sure-handed guy, a guy that he can go to in a tough situation. I thought that that might turn out to be Tyler Higby um, through the early part of the season and obviously only a couple of games in, and there's still some opportunities for, for that to come around. But Higby has really been nowhere. I think that, you know, obviously a rookie, and there's some things that need to get done there as well, and, you know, he needs to progress like most rookies do. But there was a lot of expectations from him. When they let Jared Cook leave, he, of course, was the pass-catching tight end for the Rams the last few years. He's in Green Bay right now. When they let him lead, they're going to – or leave, I should say. They're going to need somebody to come back and be the guy that would catch the ball from the tight end position, be that safety valve, be the guy that, you know, on those third six and sevens, the go-to guy, the guy you got to get it to. And I think that they were hoping that Tyler Higby was going to be that. And it looked like he was kind of developing into that in the first part of the exhibition season. It really has not come together since then. He has really struggled, to, never mind to, to, to make plays, just to get in the field, on the field, and play. He really hasn't been anywhere. So maybe Nelson Spruce can kind of take that role maybe as a slot guy or, or as a secondary option behind Kenny Britt. The other one that is interesting is Farrell Cooper. Farrell Cooper has speed. Farrell Cooper might be the guy that can help them stretch the field a little bit. It at least gives them an option to keep at least one side of the field honest. With Kenny Britt and with Brian Quick and with Tavon Austin catching screen passes and jet sweeps, just, there's no threat of anybody getting behind anybody. So I think with the opportunity or the, the reinsertion of Farrell Cooper into the lineup, that's going to have a, a very positive impact. I'd like to see both of those guys get a few targets this weekend, and I think that that can make a very, very big difference going up against Tampa. Because, look, let's be honest about this. The Rams are 1-1. One one. Everybody's very excited that they won, beat Seattle last weekend, the return of the Coliseum, 90,000 Red Hot Chili Peppers, on and on and on and on and on. It was a fun party. Yes, 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 yes. Their offense was dreadful. Their offense managed three field goals. They're the only team in the NFL that has not scored a touchdown. And if they go down to Tampa and they struggle again offensively the way they have in the first couple of games, that win is going to feel like a million years ago, and that 1-2 and two is going to be the least inspiring 1-2 and two that anybody's seen in a very long time. They have to make some plays offensively. They have to stretch the field. They have to get some things done. They have to start scoring touchdowns because 9-3 to three wins are not going to come along very often. You're going to have to get up somewhere 17-20 points to make this a, a team that, that at least can – look itself in the mirror and say that they have an opportunity to maybe contend for a playoff spot because, quite frankly, if they play like they have through the first two games, that's very unlikely to happen. All right, so those are the two guys that are coming back, and I'd like, I'm would i looking forward to seeing them. As far as what they need to do on the other side of the ball, they need to get to Jameis Winston. I mean, it, it, it sounds obvious, and, and I guess it is to a certain point, but the reason they were able to get and, and have success against the the Seahawks, both this most recent game and then both times last season, they get pressure on Russell Wilson. And I know that Russell Wilson can move, and I know that there are some other guys in the league that can move, but I don't care even if you're a mobile quarterback, even if you're somebody that can cover a lot of ground. If you're the sort of guy – let me go back. If, if, 
nobody likes to move. But if you're the sort of guy like Jameis Winston who really can't move, Jameis Winston is a very stationary guy, a big arm, a pretty accurate arm. It's turned out he's a very, very good quarterback. He kind of understands the process of playing quarterback. But what Winston does not do well is move. He's kind of a stationary target. If they can force him to move, if they can force him to get off of his spot and move his feet and you know ideally hit him, then they're going to have some success there. That's the key. The secondary is what the secondary is. But if those front four guys, if you can get Brockers and Donald and Quinn and whoever, and, and, uh, William Hayes and the guys up front, when if they can get pressure on that quarterback, if they can make Jameis Winston uncomfortable, you don't have to beat the snot out of him. You don't have to sack him five, six times. You don't have to pick him off a bunch of times. You don't have to force fumbles all night long. What you need to do is make him uncomfortable and throw the ball early or make him hold on to it a little bit longer or make him move from the spot that he wants to be in. That's the way that you're going to deal with a guy like Jameis Winston. All right, let me remind you again that this is a good point for you to reach out to me, whether it's a tweet at Travis Rogers, whether you want to post something in the comments right here on Locked on Rams. If you want to be a participant in this show, if you want to be a sponsor of the Locked on Rams podcast, reach out to me. We can find a way to make something work for you and for me, and you can be a part of an opportunity to get your name, your product, your business in front of the right group of people, and that is guys 18 to 45 years old, guys that you want to reach. The guys, Look, if you're listening to this and you have a business, if you have a product, this is the best way to go about doing it. This is a really inexpensive way for you to touch a whole bunch of different people, and we can help each other out there. So make sure that you go do that. At Travis Rogers is a good point for that. All right, I want to talk a little bit about what Alec Ogletree had to say this week. He was on his and hers on ESPN with Jamel Hill and Michael Smith. And I think Alec Ogletree has gotten – he was terrible in the first half against the 49ers, pretty good in the second half, and I thought he had a great game against the Seattle Seahawks, a really, really good player and somebody that's made that transition from outside to inside of the linebacker position. But – and I don't even know if this is an Alec Ogletree thing. This is like a football player thing. For some reason, they all feel the need to lie to us. They all think that if we hear the truth, that somehow we're not going to be able to um, manage hearing that the offense sucks. Because, look, it does at this point, okay? He, he, was, he said that you know we have a very explosive offense. Alec, with all due respect, and you're around the team much more than I am, and you certainly are more aware of the capabilities of your offense than I am, but that's just ridiculous. It's a, it's a ridiculous construction because the fact of the matter is it is the least explosive offense, not only in the league this year, but that the league has probably seen in a very long time. There's a reason that you haven't scored any touchdowns and everyone else in the league has. There's a reason that Case Keenum is your starting quarterback. There's a reason that Todd Gurley, one of the best running backs in all of football, can't get a single thing going. And believe it or not, the reason for that is not because your offense is super explosive. We're so explosive, we've decided to not score any touchdowns. We're so dynamic and so explosive offensively that we're just not going to score any touchdowns this season. Come on, man. Come on. I mean, I get it. You don't want to put anybody in the box. You don't want to put the finger on anybody. I understand all of those things. But when you just lie, it makes every it makes you look bad. It makes us feel stupid. So just say, look, the offense isn't quite where we need it to be right now. We're working on it. We're working on it. That's basically what Jeff Fisher's saying. That's basically what Rob Boris is saying. None of them have deemed to say that the Rams have an explosive offense because everybody understands that that's simply just not true. He also said that no one is worried about Jared Goff. Well, you probably should be. It's probably time that you start thinking about being a little bit worried about that because the fact of the matter is 
it's incredibly worrisome. Why wouldn't it be? I mean, let's you, you spent the number one pick on a guy who hasn't seen the field, who might not see the field, in an era where typically your quarterbacks will play very early, when Dak Prescott, a third-round pick, is starting, when Carson Wentz, the guy who was taken one pick later, is not only starting but playing incredibly well, Cody Kessler, granted, through circumstances that are hard to predict, but another rookie is starting ahead of him. Jacoby Brissett, who I'm convinced is a made-up name, it's a Madden player or something, is going to start a game of quarterback for the New England Patriots potentially tonight. I mean, that it's not a worry? Come on, man. That, that That's simply not a possibility. It has to be an incredible worry. Just don't say, yeah, you know, I'd say a little bit behind, but it's all right. He's going to get there. Maybe a little Pollyanna-ish, but I mean, come on, man. You can't just say, well, no, it's not a surprise. Of course it's a surprise. We, please, please. Alec, I like you. I think you're a great player, but I think we need to uh, pick new vocabulary words. All right. So I saw this story, and it kind of got me to thinking. And this this happens in the NFL, and, and with Jared Goff coming in, being a number one pick, and the idea of guys who come in with big expectations and then very quickly turn around and not only don't live up to those expectations, but then turn around and go broke very, very quickly along the way as well. I'm talking about former Los Angeles Clipper draft pick Darius Miles. He made over $60 million in his career. Darius Miles. Okay, yes, Darius Miles made over $60 million in his career. He has filed for bankruptcy. He has a little less than half a million in assets, and he has a little over $1.5 million in liabilities. That does not um, add up, okay? According to Basketball Reference, this is from TheBigLead.com, Miles' career contracts totaled $61,999,973. So he is exactly $27 short of $62 million. The Trailblazers paid him $9 million during the 2009-2010 season, and he has not played since then. Okay, he has not played since then. Now, he has all sorts of issues along the way, all sorts of issues. He was a guy that was constantly feuding with coaches. He was a guy that could never, ever really live up to any of the hype that was heaped on him. And it got me to thinking, because this is the same week that we saw a story that, remember Glenn Rice played for the Heat for a long time, played for the Lakers, played for a couple other teams along the way. Glenn Rice is broke, too. And Glenn Rice needs money, and he was asking for a reduction in his child support payments. And okay, fine. Okay, fine. That's that's how that goes. Um, but he's been busting it looking for work. He's he's gotten to the point where he's like tutoring local kids in basketball or coaching up kids in private basketball um, leagues and, and and tutoring sessions and one on one development to try and make a few extra bucks. And I can respect that. Look, it, it, I would imagine that's got to be a pretty remarkable come down for a guy like Glenn Rice who played in the NBA for a long time, made all that money, and now all of a sudden he's got to scrape doing $50 an hour shooting clinics or whatever it might be. But at least he's working, and I can respect that. Darius Miles went through $62 million, and as far as I can tell, hasn't done anything, anything with any of this money. And so what I need to do now... Um, I need everybody to kind of tell me what you did with your money because I need to know whether or not I can make fun of you. Because if Glenn Rice went broke because friends bled him dry, because bad investments went there, an agent stole from him, and he's just working like crazy to make ends meet, I'm not going to hit him too hard. 
But I have a feeling if we listed Darius Miles' expenses, I think there might be a shark aquarium or six. I think there might be many, many thick ropes that he owns or owned at one point. It wouldn't surprise me if there was a shoeseum somewhere in his past. It wouldn't surprise me if he had a large stake in a giant tomato farm. I mean, come on, man. 62. Dude. At least Antoine Walker went through $100 million, right? He went through $100 million. At least Antoine Walker was good. At least Antoine Walker had the ability to make $100 million, and he probably thought, hey, this money's going to... Darius Miles should have understood from the moment he got that first check, you know what, I'm not very good at this. I'm getting by on these guys. I am getting by on these guys. Ugh, unbelievable. I, and I'm not going to do the whole rookie symposium thing again but i would be willing to bet you that darius miles laundry list of expenses include a bunch of hangers honors that never did anything he getting an escalade we all get an escalade type of mentality just a insane insane amount of money to go through for somebody who really was never anything other than a marginal player in his entire life he had 12 other properties that he owns, all in East St. Louis. He has a Deutsche Bank account with 49000 and he's got his son's college fund with 84000 All right, that's good. That's good. He also lists ownership of various collectibles with unknown value, including trophies, signed jerseys, and jewelry. I don't think your vast collection of Lamar Odom signed jerseys is really going to be something that you can use as collateral to go buy a Honda Accord. I don't think when you go to get your loan on your house and they say, well, nice to see you, Mr. Miles. I understand that uh, you have some collateral. Yeah, you, you, I, um, I've got a really kick-ass autographed jersey from uh, Doc Rivers. I'd, I'd, I'd like you to take a look at that. I'd like, I'd like to put that down as the down payment on my home. I mean, yeah. unbelievable. Unbelievable. In 2010, Miles tried to revive his career by trying out for the Charlotte Bobcats. He was later waived by the team. The same year, Miles was sued for child support by a Chicago woman who had Miles' daughter. That's another thing I'd like to see on a balance sheet. How many children do you have by how many women do you have them with? Because there's, there, there's got. I'm not an economist or a mathematician, but if that ratio is about one child per mother, then that's probably not a great idea either. Come on, man. Come on. Stop. Do better. Jared Goff, listen to me. Todd Gurley, listen to me. You guys are going to make a lot of money. Don't be Darius Miles. Don't go down there. Sharkquariums, thick ropes, tomato farms. Don't have kids that you don't want. Don't do any of those things. And then when the year 2036, we won't be having a conversation about, hey, remember that one guy that used to play for the Rams? Well, he's broke now. Don't do that. All right, that's this edition of Locked on Ram. Getting close to the beginning of week three. That is tonight with Houston Texans and the New England Patriots. We'll talk to you tomorrow right here on Locked on Rams. What you doing? Ran out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hey, Locked On listeners. You already love our network of NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fancy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fantasy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. 
We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind, helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network. 